Radio TRO is in search of sponsors. Sponsors get a detailed product mention at the beginning of every episode in our catalog. You can submit your own advertisement or we can read one for you. Visit email.tro.bike and contact us directly to learn more. Hey folks, Maggie Dean here, just reaching out to tell you about a couple of great tours we have coming up. One is for the newbies and the other for the seasoned curve carvers. If you're new to motorcycle touring, check out the LMCT, Lake Michigan Circle Tour, which takes place from Sunday, July 14th to Saturday, July 20th. It's a beginner-friendly scenic bike tour around Lake Michigan with all the planning and organizing done for you. It's ideal for couples, three-wheel riders, and small groups. It offers a balanced mix of fun curves, beautiful scenery, and rest stops. If you've always wanted to go on a small group motorcycle tour but have yet to do so, this tour is for you. And for all you rabid twisty travelers, check out TRO's Wisco Disco Tour. Based in Wisconsin, this tour is perfect for experienced riders visiting as much of the Driftless area as possible over three days. Our well-vetted routes are pre-planned, so just take the time off and join us. It's a great opportunity to ride in an intimate setting away from the solo digital world. Tiro's Wisco Disco Tour launches Wednesday, August 7th, and concludes Sunday, August 11th. Again, that's two tours approaching. Visit tiro.bike, mouse over events, and select group tours to learn more. Hello, everybody. This is Travis Burleson. I'm Robin Dean. And this is the RidingObsession.com podcast. Winter blues, basically trying to get through the winter doldrums as a motorcyclist living in the Midwest, where when the roads are bad, there probably isn't much reason to ride. Or live. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be talking about things to do for the winter, before the winter, after the winter, during the winter, to uh, sort of keep yourself sane when you can't ride your bike. The winter makes me crazy, man. You know, it's about this time, maybe three-fourths of the way in, where... I begin to lose my mind from all of the, the cabin fever and the lack of social interaction because nobody really wants to go out and do anything. It's more like they tell themselves they have to get out and do something. Yeah, there's a lot of going to the the pub and drinking beer here in Wisconsin. That's that's winter. It's medically suggested. Yeah, the uh, Wisconsin Bureau of uh, Beer Brewers uh, recommends it. You drink at least five beers a day during the winter. I see here on the outline that you talk about winter prep for a motorcycle, and I, I can already tell you right now, I can see how my, you know, we have a, a page set up on the site. If you go to theridingobsession.com and place your mouse over maintenance and scroll down to winterization, uh, another pop-up appears for dewinterization, but we have a, a full-length process list of everything you want to do if you're an absolute neurotic such as myself. Uh, so be sure and check that out. I mean, you can always customize and pare down and adjust, you know, for your bike and your facilities. Yeah, but I mean, I just, I, I put the uh, the basics up here, you know, wash, you know, you want to make sure you wash your bike before you put away for the season. You don't want, especially if you're riding it late into the season, there might be some road, some road salt on there if it, if there was a little bit 
of uh, ice or snow before you put it away. And, uh, you know, just get the grime and the dirt and the, the junk off of it. And again, some people just take it to the pan spray and, and blast it down. And, uh, you know, you might be the kind of person who gets in there with a toothbrush and scrubs every little last bit of it. You know, I've done that before and I've seen some of my favorite, you know, wiser writers who've taught me a lot. I've seen them do it and they do it very carefully. I've had that go south on me before. When we got back from the Portland trip, I went to a pay and spray, hosed the bike down, brought it back to my garage and heard a, a strange buzzing sound, you know, sort of a and I looked and the main from the battery had a short in it that had managed to weld itself to the frame. And so the hot was completely combined into the frame, taped into place. And uh, yeah, so if you're going to use the pan spray, be careful. Yeah, I mean, don't like point it at your spark plugs and put it on full blast. You know, just use it to get the the gist of it off, especially if you're... Remove the spark plugs, then put the sprayer into the spark plug slot. Yeah, don't, don't fill your cylinders with water. When you see water coming out of the exhaust pipe, the bike is clean. Um, so wait, Travis, you don't have to drain your float bowls? Uh, well, if you have carburetors, um, yeah, which is on there. I mean, so, you know, you want to wash your bike and get it clean, do an oil change. Uh, you always want to store it with fresh oil because, you know, uh, moisture and other things uh, build up in your oil as you ride and, you know, that stuff sits. If it's going to sit for four or five months, um, you know, it can it can uh, gunk up your gunk up your engine, or even start eating away at uh, some of the internals. It basically becomes a shellac. And there are two particular uh, fuel stabilizers that we like to use to protect your bike against that. And our you know my my own personal favorites are Seafoam and Stable Blue. Uh, I actually go so far as to combine a little bit of both of them, one after the other. I'll pour Seafoam into a bare tank, fill that up with gas, and then put a dollop of stable blue on top of that. And that's what I do to let it sit for the winter. Yeah. So yeah, it's important to stabilize. I too would, uh, what I did this year, cause there's, um, some of the gas stations here in Wisconsin, they sell, uh, no ethanol premium. Mm-hmm. So I made, I made sure to fill out the bikes with, uh, with no ethanol, which, uh, you know, even if you don't need the premium, um, the premium octane rating for your bike, it's a good idea to do that. If it's no ethanol, because the ethanol, uh, speeds the, uh, the oxidation and uh, lacquering of the gasoline. So if you uh, if you put in no ethanol gas and a stabilizer, you can be sure that it's going to be going to be stable and not going to be junk, uh, not going to gunk up your system, and it's going to start come springtime. Yeah, with my own bike this year, I did not do that. So I had a question for you about which chains do you know of that provide the non-ethanol premium? Um, here, Sitco does, and uh, Quick Trip does around me um but you'd have to check there's uh there's a website um was i think it's like realgas.org or something that uh that provides like all user input so it's not guaranteed uh, well i mean if it so it's crowdsourced yeah crowdsourced i mean depending on the number of users that's usually a really good thing uh we, i just wrote an article about gas buddy which is posted on the site right now uh gas buddy is an app for your mobile device that when you open it up, it asks you, do you want to find gas near you? And it searches in your your basic location, uh, provided that you choose your preferred octane or distance or you know pricing scheme. Yeah, so this is the site I use. It's pure-gas.org. Um, and actually, it looks like someone made uh, an Android app 
um, for them. So Fantastic. Worth checking out. I haven't tested the app, but uh, I've definitely used the website and you, there's like a map um, and you can add to, add stations or comment. You know, if you go somewhere, they don't carry it anymore. You can let them know. That's just more writing material for me. So I'm definitely going to check that out and try to put it to use this season. I was going to ask you about oil in particular. There's some debate I've heard, you know, bounce this idea off of a few people, the synthetic versus dinosaur uh, conundrum, where if you've had a bike that's been running on dinosaur oil for the better part of its gasket's current life, that switching to synthetic oil actually proves to be a negative uh, in that on a very micro level, the dinosaur oil is it has, you know, in terms of puzzle pieces and scale, the molecules are shaped differently when they're combined with one another. So the oil falls together in a way that works with the older gaskets that has already been using dinosaur oil, whereas synthetic oil, you know, it's like a bucket of marbles. Everything's exactly the same size, so they don't necessarily compact well against each other in old gaskets. I don't I don't believe that. Yeah, I wouldn't subscribe to that. I think if, if you want to switch to synthetic, that's fine. I mean, I run a semi-synth just because it's less expensive <laughs> than the full synthetic. What's a semi-synth? It's exactly what it's not. It's like half synthetic, half uh, on synthetic oil, half dino oil, which I... I What's an example brand? Um, uh, Repsoil. I think the Repsoil, T, the Repsoil T4... Um, I think Castrol has one too. They have a full synth and a semi-synth. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I've been using the Repsoil, I think T4 is it, uh, which is semi-synthetic and no issues. You'll have a lot of problems tearing me away from Rotella T6, the blue bottle. That's my preferred, you know, purely synthetic. It's got a lot of additives in it that complement the metals and take care of things a little bit better. And plus it lasts a long time. But yeah, I've never really subscribed to the theory that changing a bike over from dyno oil to synthetic oil makes any uh, has a harmful effect in any way. I think it's nor do I nor have I ever seen one leak as a result. My first bike never had a problem with that, and none of neither of any of my other ones since then. Yeah, I mean, no no issues. Um, you know, it's more I, probably people anyone who reports that like had an old bike and changed the oil and didn't put a, uh, a good new uh, seal washer on the drain plug and now it's leaking oil and they're like, well, oh, it's because I put synthetic in. And they say, well, so what about battery preparation? What do you do there? Um, just uh, pull, uh, disconnect it, clean the terminals, uh, put uh, terminal grease on it and uh, put it back together. Kind of depending. I mean, I... Also, terminal grease. Are you talking about dielectric grease? Yeah, dielectric grease. At least if, usually, if you go to like the the auto parts store, they have the little, the little tiny you know mylar packs like right by the checkout there. And I just I just grab that. You can get like a whole tube of it. I I don't know how you'd ever go through a whole tube of it. So they just have the little tiny tear open packs there, and those last me a couple of years because you use so little of it. Unless you have unless you have a fleet of bikes. Yeah, that's how uh, that's how Brian Ringer, who is a really great writer uh, and friend from some of the rallies I've been fortunate enough to frequent, he actually saved, uh, well, I don't know, saved, yeah, he definitely remedied a situation on my Suzuki Bandit where, you know, we, we knew that there was a short somewhere, and uh, the instant I said, well, I guess we could look at it, he had already pulled off the entire half end of it and, you know, dug out all the wiring, found the connection that he was concerned about, 
smathered it in dialect of grease, put it all back together, and the bike's running great. Uh, that stuff's pretty amazing. Yeah, and it's I mean it's good for like light bulbs and connectors and stuff too, just to stop them from corroding and getting stuck. But definitely just a good idea during your battery. Um, if you're going to be storing it somewhere super cold, especially if you have like an old serviceable battery, you know, the one where you can actually top it up with water if you need to, um, I would just pull it completely and store it inside. Um, and then definitely either way, whether you're keeping it on the bike or uh, or you're pulling the battery and storing it inside, get it on a, a maintainer, get it on a trickle charger. Yeah. Well, you know, storage is, like I said, I, I get pretty elaborate with that. You know, I, um, I wash, degrease, detail, clean the chain. I add stable, add seafoam. Um, do an oil, complete oil change, drain the float bowls. Uh, I wipe off the front forks and coat them in a little bit of standard household oil, or if not motor oil, you know. I remove the plugs. I clean the plugs, sand them off, make sure there's no uh, carcinogen still on there. Uh, pull the battery, clean the connections. I actually leave the battery in mind because I've got a garage, and it doesn't even matter that the garage is cold. It's that it's sheltered. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the thing, too, is if you live you know, in a city and you... You know, it's it's always best, obviously, to to have it indoors. You know, I remember when I was in Chicago and I didn't have a garage, I just rented a storage unit in the suburbs. You know, for whatever thirty. And actually, a friend of mine uh, stored his bike in there too. Like we got like a small storage unit. Um, you know, one of the ones that just has like a regular door on it, not even like the rolling garage door. And we could squeeze two bikes in there, so we split the cost uh, of storing the two bikes in there. Um, and it was definitely worth it. You can yin-yang those, too. You, if you put one bag in forwards and the other one backwards and the handlebar space, you can compress it down a little bit more, too. Yeah. I mean, however you got it. I mean, it was, you know, maybe five foot by seven foot or something like that, but wide enough to fit two bikes in. Now, just to get through this so that we can help people get through the suffering that is the northern winter as a motorcyclist, uh, I, you know, the other things I would do is I do like to lubricate the cables, uh, apply a fabric treatment to the seat, you know, armor all is good for anything synthetic. I'll inflate the over inflate your tires or the maximum pressure. I'm sorry, don't over inflate them. Maximum pressure, put some plywood underneath the rubber because the cold pavement can have an effect on that and harden certain sections versus others. Yeah. You know, definitely too, if you have like a center stand or it can get it off the ground, that's always good. Yeah. And wipe everything down. You know, I go pretty far and take the turtle wax chrome polish, put that on the metal to coat it. Uh, <laughs> Tony at Analog Motorcycles made fun of me for that a little bit, you know. Oh, and then I plug the. I put a plug into the exhaust pipe just to keep any rodents from setting up shop there. And that's that's the full winterization. Like I said, we have a page on that at the site, ridingobsession.com under maintenance. Scroll down to winterization. You can see the entire process. Although I do, I need to update the, un, the de-winterization. So then there's still, in the winter, there's still things we can do to keep ourselves occupied. It doesn't necessarily keep us entertained. The psychosis of waiting for the spring season, it's a very slow-going, uh, residual sort of motorcyclist's water torture. Yeah, well, there's stuff, I mean, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, prepping stuff. I mean, you can, uh, you know, you want to prep your gear and all that sort of stuff, too, for the winter. So, you know, wipe your helmet down, pull your liners, clean out your liners, clean your clean your jacket, clean your riding pants, you know, maybe clean your boots. Um, you know, anything that's going to be like smelly and sweaty from the season, you know, you want, you don't want that to sit in the, in the closet, getting all stank all winter long. So you know, make sure you clean it out, inspect everything, you know, check your boots and your helmet for scratches and tears, um, you know, and store it somewhere, you know, dry and, and safe. So it doesn't get, you know, don't leave your, 
don't leave your helmet in a dank garage for it to get all musty and wet and dry and cracked and get critters in there. So you know, make sure you, you put it somewhere safe that it's gonna gonna last. Last year was so active and such an eventful year. I had so much fun and even went through some scary moments as per usual. I don't remember if I cleaned my camping gear. I may have just rolled all of that into a ball and stuffed it. It may be sitting there with the same residue. Fortunately, you know, synthetic materials. Once I get the first snowless day, once there's no snow on the ground, I'll probably pull all that out, lay it out on the ground, let it air out, and then, uh, you know, you can use vinegar, you can use Windex, uh, stuff that will kill off any bacteria that's sitting there. It's advisable to clean it before you pack it away. But let's, this is just for those like me who may have just been in a hurry to, to climb into a hole and wait out the, the cold season. If you did, then, well, there you go. Pull it out, lay it out, spray it down, disinfect, let it air, and you're ready to roll. Yeah, well, too, in any any sort of leather stuff, you know, whether you're a leather jacket, leather pants, or just boots and gloves, uh, make sure that you're, uh, you know, use like a, a mink oil um, or, you know, leather treatment, waterproofer, you know, get them clean, get the dirt and mud and grime off them, and then put uh, put a treatment on them, and it'll, that'll make your, your boots last a lot longer, too, because they're just going to sit there for four, uh, four months and dry out. Um, you know, they'll, they'll crack and, and wear uh, a lot faster than if you, uh, you actually put a little treatment on the leather and, and keep it pliable. I see something here about testing. I see the word test next to it. Uh, what do you have to say about any of that? You're talking about just getting ready for the next season and having everything sort of checked out. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if you, if you pulled your battery or, you know, it's been sitting on the bike all winter, uh, you can get out a multimeter and make sure that it's, it's, it's pulling, you know, pushing out, you know, 12 plus volts like it's supposed to. If you have any, if you're going to do some uh, motorcycle camping, you know, when you have like a camp stove, you know, hook it up, fire it up, make sure that it's it's working right, that it's not clogged. Um, you know, any uh, road tools or stuff that you bring with you, um, you know, ratchets and screwdrivers, flashlights, anything, uh, emergency equipment you keep with you uh, when you're riding, uh, make sure that you're, um, you know, you test all that before before you head out, you know, for that first trip of the season. Now, I think that actually covers everything that you need to do to get ready for winter now that we're in <laughs> March. <laughs> yeah, we're at the it, peak. And it just snowed again. And it just snowed again. And the high has been like five. Yeah. We, well, we're kicking out. We're getting, we're getting it back now because today we had rain and sleet, which turned the road into, for me personally, a lot of fun because I'm comfortable with my emergency brake which is always a good time when you take the corner at that perfect angle and there's nobody around. Well, women, women love it. The hand action drives them crazy. <laughs> You'd be surprised, okay? My wife, my wife uh, always lets out a little bit of a giggle when I'm dropping her off at the train for downtown. You know, take a corner and all of a sudden bring the back end around. There's always just a little bit of a laugh. So I guess the very first and most obvious thing you can do if you're trying to give yourself something to do for the winter as a motorcyclist Besides having other hobbies, we're all human. We don't just go stand in a corner after the season's over. I'm not literally folded into a corner and waiting every time the podcast ends for the season to rebegin, and then I just fall asleep for weeks on end before I get to talk to all of you again. The very first thing that any of us are going to do is come up with a winter project, and that is the golden rule of keeping your hands, keeping your head in, in tune with what you're up to, motorcycling in general. Um, being prepared to learn new things, remembering the concept of the engine, especially for someone such as myself who I didn't get into this. I'm 40 years old now. I didn't get into this until I was 35. 
I grew up around engines. I never knew which questions to ask. I didn't know the terminology. So five years ago, I wanted to learn everything I could. And it's been an amazing an amazing life-changing process where you get to try something new that you've always wanted. Here we are. So with that, I mean, it becomes literally, as the site would suggest, it becomes an obsession. You're going to want to do things that you're not going to be able to do just because the weather doesn't permit. Hence, a winter project. Now, one of the first things we got before I even got my first motorcycle uh, I had bought two vehicles at the same time. One of them was a 1967 Honda C100, which is, if you watch Top Gear and uh, any, well, I think it wasn't Top Gear. It was a different yeah. show. No, there was, well, there was the Top Gear, uh, if you watch the Vietnam special, that was the one James May had. It's the most, <laughs> yeah. the, it's it's the, the the Honda Cub or Super Cub everywhere else in the world. But Super in Cub. The United yeah, in the United States, because of uh, there was already something else called the Cub. There was a licensing thing, so they called it just the uh, the C100. Yeah, the C100, and they're still making or the pa- it today. Or the, the, the Passport, the Honda Passport. The Passport is the modern DC version. So they they used to be a 6-volt system. Now they're a, a 12-volt DC system. Yeah, which they still don't, they don't sell here because of emissions. You can get an old one. But they still make them. Brand You can get a brand new one in Southeast Asia. Um, and, and in Mexico. Yeah, so you can maybe you can do like the old uh, Volkswagen Beetle Mexico trick where you <laughs> get a VIN number off an old one and get a new one from overseas. But um, well, I did. Yeah. I had one. I did have one, and I loved it. I loved that thing. It was my wife's. I bought it for her so that she could. I, I didn't expect that she was going to become an actual motorcyclist, not for any reason other than the fact that she never expressed interest in it. And here she is now riding a Honda CB250, and we have the Hawk GT NT650, which is a rare bird and quite the sexy machine. Anyhow, so the C100, I bought it along with a 1976 Honda CB500T from an amazing mechanic, Jordan Liebman. And, uh, you know, the CB500T wasn't ready yet. I had the C100. It was cold still. I wanted to work on something. And this is really the kind of project that's really great for a beginner because it's so small. I mean, you could hold the engine in your hand like a puppy and work on it. No problem. Even still, I had... Even if you don't have, you know, a heated garage or, you know, somewhere you, you could have it in a basement or a spare room. You know, it's so small. It's Yeah, we had that thing. It was... We had it hanging from a tree in front of our, our condo unit. You know, it just Those things are so durable. They are the perfect learning instrument. And I made my mistakes with it, as is to be expected. I took it to a professional because I didn't know better yet, and he took it apart, not thinking about the fact that he didn't have any gaskets for it, and then asked me what he wanted me to do with an attached bill that would up the ante mid-process. So instead, he put it back together with the old torn gaskets, and, of course, that meant it leaked a little bit of oil, so I thought that maybe I just needed to be tightened down, and I ended up uh, rounding out the cylinder head bolt. Uh, you know, and the thing is, no harm, no foul, really, because you can get the parts for these things anywhere, and they're they're cross-compatible. Um, you're still dedicating yourself to a piece of history. It wasn't something I was going to paint or alter or change. I left the patina on it. I left it as was. It was a great, great winter project to take some fun with. But the, the, in the end... The truth of the matter is, if you own multiple bikes from the beginning, that C100 Super Cub, all I used it for was to ride back and forth to my garage. And eventually, it began to go downhill, and I had other bikes that were a priority, and I had already learned a little bit of this and that, and I needed to maintain them. And so projects came to me. As a result, I ended up selling that to a really good friend who is now fully restoring it um, you know, to its 
full glory without without really taking away from its uh, its used patina. Yeah, well, and then I mean, if you're looking for a winter project to do to kind of keep you keep you in the the bike the bike world, I mean, find you know find a beater, find a, a piece of junk old Honda or something weird just to uh, you know just to wrench on. Even if you don't get it working and you sell it again in the spring, you know, it's something something to keep you busy if that's that's your thing. Well, that's yeah. Now that I've got a couple of years on my belt, that's why I bought a uh, for a really great price. We were lucky enough to catch a 1988 Honda Hawk GT NT650, which is a bike that when you look at it, I'm going to say that I see 1998, 1999. It's at least at least ten years ahead of its time visually, and uh, when you know, surprisingly, not a successful bike in the United States. Uh, it was very, very different, very, very elegant looking machine. I'm not sure that people's eyes were ready for it. Uh, what with that cross form, that cross frame structure. What do you call that? The diagonal frame, the the square bar. Oh, I don't know, like a aluminum spur frame. It's kind of like the the Suzuki SV650 was, you know, ten years later. Except this bike came out in 1988, and I, I was referred to this bike by one of the guys that likes to write for the site, Joe Nardi. He he heard me out. I told him what I was looking for. I was looking for a bike that had enough muscle and enough uh, sort of sexy form to be my sport bike, uh, and at the same time was small enough that maybe with a seat transfer, my wife could ride as her big bike. So for me, it's the little one. For her, it's the big one. And he said, well, you know, it sounds to me like, and he knew that I liked older bikes every now and then. Otherwise, I have no reason to even relate to Chive and Moto. And this bike, while not technically vintage, was the perfect selection. So he referred me to it. I checked it out. I was like, they call it the poor man's Ducati. <laughs> fitting and i i got one at a really great price and now i'm just about to start uh taking care of it and you know, it's got some broken plastics i'm gonna replace and i have no intention of freaking it out or glazing it with a custom paint job or tricking out the exhaust i plan on bringing this thing back as close to its original form as possible and then just riding the daylights out of it and keeping it nice and clean that's my plan yeah so that's always a good a good project too and I mean, with the um, the end of the season, um, you know, come November, October, if you live in a temperate climate like we do in Wisconsin and Northern Illinois. Yeah, none of this applies to any of you in L.A. <laughs> people, people start getting, you know, what am I going to do with this bike? Uh, you know, I, I bought this bike and I rode it twice and I'm never, you know, I got a bigger bike and I'm not riding this one. You know, people start trying to get rid of that stuff at the end of the season. So if you're looking for a project, I mean, it's really, it's really the time to do it because, like I don't want to, I don't have room in my garage, and the winter's coming, or I don't want to get a storage unit. Um, and you, you can get that project. Yeah, I think right now these are the these are the final days of uh, bikes on a budget. If you want to get a project bike, anywhere from I'd say January to the beginning of March is when they're going to be priced the absolute lowest because they're not being ridden, and people are skeptical as to whether or not they're going to want to ride that bike come season start. They might want something different. Yeah, or even you know, at a, at a dealership, you know, they wanna they're getting the 2015s and they want to make room. They're going to start clearing out any. Uh, if you're looking for a new bike, you know, they're they're going to want to get rid of those 2014 models. You know, you can wheel and deal the uh, the salesman down, or if they have a, a 2013 or used inventory on hand still, um, you know, it's still too early for the big spring sales for when the most people, you know, as soon as that it gets warm and the snow is gone, people want to buy bikes. So they the market's back. But now, if you go and you know you can you can wheel and deal them down a little bit more because no one else is buying anything. 
Yeah. All I want to do right now is ride bikes. And here we are still, we're still sort of making our way to what I think everybody needs to know about. And that's how to cope with all of it. And I think we've started in pretty well with just you know, find yourself a project that takes some time, a little bit of focus, a little bit of a Zen meditative state in the garage, you know, your own personal space in the quiet or in the extremely loud, in my case, where I've got a full stereo system blasting at me while I do my thing. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, it's a good time too. I mean, you can, you can get a project bike, um, you know, or a beater to work on, um, or, you know, you can take what you got. And if you have any, it's a good time to do those things to your bike that you've been meaning to that you haven't, uh, you know, didn't get around to either or, uh, you know, too busy riding or didn't have the money or you're waiting for someone to get you something for Christmas. And, you know, now's the time to go mount up that new luggage or put on that new exhaust or, do you have any kind of a project bike that you've been considering digging around for? Something either vintage or new, something you'd like to build into something else or any of that? Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, a bunch, but it's money, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, it's not a cheap habit. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I just bought a house, so it's it's a little different. But yeah, like I'd love to get an old vintage um, bike, like, uh, you know, a CB500 or... Uh, I'll sell you this. I got a Hawk GT. I'll sell it to you for $7,500. <laughs> uh, no. That doesn't include the frame, or like an S, like an old SR five hundred, the singles Yamaha singles. Those are, oh, yeah. those are those would be pretty awesome. Well, then there's also the bikes that aren't projects. You know, we talk about luggage a lot because of the sport touring thing. Um, I just I just ordered an entire set of luggage uh, and their mounting hardware that allows the bike to be either without the hardware or with. So if I want my bike to be a track bike, the panniers come right off. I got it through Twisted Throttle. And they have a system for many, many bikes where the panniers and luggage rack are quickly removed through the twist of a bolt. Uh, not a full turn, just a half quarter turn and the entire thing detaches, bringing your bike back to sport mode. And that also allows you to buy what are their adapter plates that can fit just about any luggage that they list. I managed just to get myself, let's see, the Shad SH43s. And their SH45 top case for my second generation Bandit 1200. And that's something I've wanted to do for years. And every now and then, gentlemen, you probably know this, but when the wife gives you the green light, you got to run as fast as you can. And <laughs> <laughs> now I will have 43 liter side cases and a 45 liter top case before she and I embark on a long trip down through North Carolina from Chicago to North Carolina to Nashville, Tennessee to meet Total Control instructor Greg White, friend of ours, and then head back up. What do you have in mind for your bikes, Travis? Uh, nothing, nothing too big right now. Um, you know, they're they're both hanging in there. We'll see. We're kind of. Maybe looking for the next the next bike. I'm pretty happy with uh, with where uh, where my ride is right now, as far as uh, you know, luggage and accessories. And we did the big trip, you know, this last summer, and really kind of wanting for nothing on it. I mean, I'd like to. Part of me kind of wants to put hard bags on the Beamer, but it, there's only like one. I think yeah, Twisted Throttle was the only place that imported them for that that bike. And last time I looked, they only had one left, or they were out of stock on it because it's a you know the the F six hundred the F six fifty CS is um you know it's just a, a a weird rare bike that they didn't sell a lot of in the united states so that there's not a whole lot of luggage options for it so i'll just stick with my big soft nelson rigs for now and no no issues with that 
Those are impressive bags. I mean, without a passenger, you've got enough space. You you toted that entire tent. Oh yeah, those bags are huge. They're ridiculously huge. I mean, they they do uh, cover up the passenger pegs, but um, yeah, that it's so much storage. And with the top case and everything, I think the bike's pretty good. And I just put a new bearing on it uh, in the in the um, cush drive for the the pulley. Uh, though I think I'm probably, I mean, it's 30,000 plus miles on that bike now. Wow. Um, so I think uh, it's just about time for a new clutch. The clutch is feeling a little... Um, Slippy? Yeah, a little soft. Like the 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 bite point for the clutch is pretty far out on the lever. So uh might be putting a new clutch on it here pretty soon. But um, wait for it to warm up just a little bit before I dive into that and take it apart. Yeah, so too at that this time of year, you know, January, I go to a dealer and a lot of, or even online, you know, the the online retailers start uh, start clearing out their uh, their old stock, their new old stock. So if you're looking for a new helmet or a new gear, especially if you're a weird size, like if you're an extra small or an extra extra large, or a GoPro, um, yeah, they start clearing that they start clearing that stuff out. Yeah, or yeah, you want to. You know, you want a GoPro, what are they on the 4 now? So if you can find a GoPro 3, they're getting rid of it. The 4 is out. You know, they're getting the 2015 gear is coming in, the 2015 helmets and jackets. So you can go out to your your local uh, your local bike shop or online and, you know, find the 2014 um, stuff that they still have in stock and they're, they're, they want to get rid of it, you know. I actually intend on writing an article about mounting positions for the GoPro because uh, I just got a Hero 4. So hopefully we'll get that article posted here eventually this uh, towards the end of this cold season. And then if you buy the camera or anything through the site, you're helping us help the site to help you. Now let's just talk about the stuff when we really just, we have no more energy left to work on something personal to us in the garage. We have no projects to deal with, or we just don't have the focus to go into it. What about the daydreaming that happens as a result of that? When you just fall into your couch, you got nothing left to offer, and you know there's something on your mind, and it's just yeah. not going to go away. You pull up, you know, you pull up your tablet, and you browse to um, the manufacturer websites or the RyanObsession.com, and you start looking at uh, at what's out there. You know that new that new 2015 model that's coming out. That oh, you the just bikes want, for or, sale. The bikes for sale all the way. You know, I look at that own page on my own just to see what's going on there. And like I saw an Aprilia Futura, and I never even knew that bike existed. It was a used bike from 2003. And it, it was another bike that looked 10 years ahead of its time. And I just ogled it and ogled it and ogled it. Not yet. It's not time. You know, I thought, I mean, you said you were going to buy that one, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's so much out there. And, uh, you know, our sweet, lovely wives are dealing with us saying, I, I, what about this one? What about this one? <laughs> so, and then, uh, you know, we too, we went to uh, the IMS show, which we did a read about, uh, you know, there's like a, a lot of coverage online too. Uh, shows like the ICMA show in Europe, um, the EICMA, which I, I forget what it stands for. I know it's Italian. Um, so I mean, you know, especially the 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 ICMA show, uh, which I think is in December, is uh, you know it's really great because that's when uh, the manufacturers show all their all the new stuff coming out, and you can see all the great things that are in Europe that they're not bringing to the United States, like the Honda's bringing the Africa Twin back, and um, some of the the naked bikes that uh, Yamaha's making, the uh, the ones that look like UJMs but are are more modern. Now, are these the bikes? Can we get these bikes? 
if you can find someone in Europe to sell one to you and ship it over here, yeah, but no, otherwise. I mean, I mean, some of the bikes, yeah, some of the bikes are, you know, the bikes that they, they do a global release on. So um, let's see here. It says here you're talking about the Esposizion Internazionale Ciclo Mototiclo. Oh, shoot. So, wait. Mo- yeah. Mototiclo. Uh, <laughs> a accessory. Uh, yeah, the Milan motorcycle <laughs> show. Yeah. It just so it reminds me of the Family Guy when he says I speak Italian and then just upsets the daylights out of some you know random It's terrible. So, yeah, that's that's the yeah. best I got for you though, yeah. folks. But so hey, you know what? Show. Hey, I'm resourceful. I did it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so like you you're looking at that and seeing the coverage um, and seeing what's coming out there can just you know be fuel on the fire and and, and give you those those things to kind of drool over what i thought was funny and i know you have your your uh google search up here is if you search if you just type in icma e-i-c-m-a and do an image search it's only the girls it's <laughs> only it's only like the the show the show girls i-c-m-i-a e-c-m-i-a uh, yeah sorry sorry, sorry. E-I- e-i-c-m-a yeah but if you do a Google image search, it only shows like the the showcase girls. Like that's, well, that's every just kit. that's just the <laughs> finest Google search I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's this not is, even like the bikes. <laughs> it's enormously um, educational and introspective. <laughs> you know, so, well, you know some, the Italians. There are some bikes in the way. Uh, if they and you know, forty plus bald men. But effectively, wow, you are spot on. That's all this is. So, uh, but yeah, that's where you know um, Kawasaki announced like the HP4 and the HP, uh, not the HP4. That's the BMW. The um, are you talking about the Kawasaki H2? H2. That's it. Yeah, the the Kawasaki H2. You know, was announced there. Um, I mean, all the new bikes, the new uh, 1290 Super Duke and the 1290 Adventure from KTM and all, all everything that's it's new and big comes out at the ICMA show for the year. So I see here that they show the Benelli, the 756 cylinder. And I, I remember uh, animately watching Jay Leno's Garage talk about uh, the CBX uh, six cylinder from, you know, the late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, he mentions that, that, you know, this bike tried to do the same thing before, but in the truth, they just sort of slapped an extra couple of cylinders onto the side outside of the frame, whereas the CBX was a little bit more up to date and extremely complicated, but still not a bad looking bike with the six to six exhaust. Yeah, they, uh, you know, it's, it's, they have, uh, you know, everything there. Well, then, you know, in the United States too, they have, um, you know, we have the IMS, the, the, International Motorcycle Show in North America, which travels around uh, in Chicago. It's in February, and we we went to that, and that's just you know fuel on the fire too. You actually get to see uh, see the bikes, um, you know, from the manufacturers. Uh, it's not as extensive as the ICMA show, but it's it's really good, and it, that gives you a chance to going going to the show gives you a chance to actually sit on some of these things and and see them in person and and touch them and ask the um, ask the people working the booth some questions. Um, they usually, they, I know more about the bikes than they do. <laughs> <laughs> and something that I may very well cut and splice to the very beginning of all this, if nothing else, if you are feeling in the dark with the winter, you're looking at the roads every day, wondering when all that slush is going to disappear, that salt and pepper, nasty salt combin- combined snow, telling yourself that, wow, it's going to be another long one. One great thing to do is read and not just the magazines, not just the fact books. 
pick some really well-written, informative books with character and storylines and novel uh, caliber reading material that will inspire you and keep you tuned in to the mentality and lifestyle that goes with being a motorcyclist. It doesn't even have to be your genre. I love my sport bikes, my sport touring bikes specifically. Uh, but you know, you mentioned a book like Jupiter's travels where a man, uh, not that long ago, uh, got on an old triumph and rode around the planet. We all know about Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman, uh, writing the long way around, which is a great video series. Well worth watching, extremely enlightening as far as culture and the different countries and their most rural environments, just because the path makes the most sense. But sitting down with a good book before bed, it's really a good way to do it. Uh, Jupiter's Travels, a man, a, a triumph going around the planet well before that even happened. Um, I read a book before that, which is really, really mindful of the female mentality in writing. It's a book called The Perfect Vehicle, What It Is About Motorcycles. This writer, the writer, Melissa Holbrook Pearson, is one of us, and she knows how to wait for the season. She mentions it in the book. She talks about a lot of other great books and really just gives you a lot of insights as to what it is to be a female motorcyclist in, in the world today. Uh, it's not necessarily surprising, but at the same time surprising, not a lot has changed. Uh, I have a, a good many female riding friends who I refer to as fellow riders, period. That's all there is to it. But they do find themselves pigeonholed by specific genres of motorcyclists, stereotypes, uh, behaving like stereotypes. It's, it's kind of rough to watch, but the book doesn't just complain about that. The book is insightful and informative and tells you about wrenching and tells you about routes and states we're seeing and, and the friends you meet along the way. So she then mentioned Jupiter's Travels, which until then I had not even heard of the book. And I'm sure that all my friends who are better read than I, they've, they know this book quite well. Well, those are two amazing books. That, and I still have yet, Travis, I haven't found a version of Lawrence of Arabia that seems to be the legit original version. We are, we're having trouble with that. There, are, there must be 15 versions of that book. And only one of them says um, the authorized biography. Um, no, none of the rest of them seem to say anything except for Lawrence of Arabia, colon, this feature at this, this version of the story, this, that, and that I'm looking for. I want the written material, not the movie. I will watch the movie cause it's, that's an amazing flick. I want the book that is the story of TC Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, the original copy. And that's not the easiest thing to find. And well, as far as is reading too, I mean, there's, um, you know, there's, uh, the, Travel, you know, these travel, um, travel stories, true travel stories, sort of nonfiction travel. And then there's, uh, you know, I, there's books you can get to make yourself better. I think of, um, you know, David L. Huff's books, you know, proficient motorcycling, more proficient motorcycling. Um, and even if you've, if you've read them before, um, you know, or if you've been riding for, you know, 20 years, it's always good to read those books and, and reread them and get that information, um, you know, and I find them very fascinating. I, I like reading nonfiction. I like reading technical literature. So, uh, you know, reading how to make your writing better or, uh, you know, total control. You can get the book uh, for the class and um, the Lee Parks book, Total Control, and, just, and, and learn more about how to ride your motorcycle. And that can be very uh, occupying and satisfying and really get you geared up for the season and, and learning how to, how to be safe and be in control and get the most out of your motorcycle. 
So I've got a friend who actually teaches that class, and you know he taught me most of the skills that go into it. Yet yeah, I've never read that book, so you're going to have to loan that to me. Or you know what? I think I'll just buy it. In fact, I might even do a write up about it. Again, if you buy it through the site, you're helping us. Yeah, so I mean, it's definitely good, and I, I'll probably uh, you know reread uh, reread that um, as we go. And I remember for Christmas a couple years ago, I got like uh, a history of BMW motorcycles. That's great to read, and a uh, history on. Uh, it's called Invasion of the Tiddlers, so it's kind of a history on the uh, small displacement Japanese bikes from like the 50s, 60s, um, and you know, so like the, you know, books like that can just you know be a great way to sort of be an outlet for your rotting, like reading about these these books, or reading about reading about the bikes that you like, and even in Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which is that is uh, that is not fiction; that's a true story. I think he rides across the states on a it's a Honda Dream, a 350 with his kid on back and all the luggage. There's a photo in there. That's a little bit harder to read though. And and just so everybody knows, it's not about motorcycle maintenance. Yeah, the yeah, that that uh, Zen in the Yard is is a book on philosophy and it's just a guy philosophizing while he's riding a motorcycle. Like he happens to be riding a motorcycle in the book, but it's really about philosophy. <laughs> Yeah, it's and it's also about recovering from breakdown. He's telling he's not really philosophizing during the ride. He's explaining the the effort he made to philosophize, which caused a bit of a breakdown, and then how he recovered from it. And the, his recovery is the whole story. I'm not I'm not filling anybody in or breaking any breaking any boundaries by telling anybody that. Read the book; it's an excellent read. Yeah, though they go through a lot of the same cities we did uh, on our trip, uh, going the other way, but. Mile City and Bozeman and Lemon, South Dakota, and they did Yellowstone in the book. But we also lost our sanity, I think. And then you also you mentioned you mentioned YouTube here. That's always a good one. You know, you built that entire list. You you put together. I'm, I really owe you a beer for this one. You put the entire list of Leno's Garage only motorcycles together on your YouTube page. I think I'll probably put that on the Writing Obsession account too, so that everybody can see it. But it'll be in your name, or I'll just link them to you. Yeah, I fil- filtered out uh, all the motorcycle-related Jay Leno's garages and uh, put them in a playlist. Uh, but I mean, I mean, those are great because there's a lot of like historic and just interesting bikes on there. Um, or there's, uh, you know, all the various other motorcycling magazines have all their reviews, and they're all in Southern California. So those, all the new bikes that come out, you can watch the reviews online. Um, and then there's some really great, just like moto vlogs out there, guys. Uh, there's a couple guys out there who test ride used bikes. And uh, videotape it, and that's something uh, we we want to start and get going to on the site as soon as the weather gets nice. Is uh, get we have already spoken to some of the dealers here in uh, Madison and a couple around Chicago, where uh, we can take some of the new and used bikes out and 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 get some reviews on them. Which I always think, you know, the the polish reviews that you get from um, you know some of the online uh, moto uh, magazines are great, um, but I feel like you know like they're too polished, and sometimes you don't get. And you don't feel like you're getting like a real honest feel for the bike and a real honest review of the bike. Yeah, they sell the bike. They sell the bike in the review. They go through the process of describing it without any complaint and then informing you of, of why you're about to buy it. Yeah, well, sometimes they, they complain, but I just, I feel like too, you know, when you, when you're like that professional, that super professional moto journalist, like it just, and you have that really high production quality, it, it just feels you know, um, disingenuous. And I, I feel like you, you lose, you know, like every bike that's not like, uh, you know, an 1199 Pentagale, like, oh, isn't, 
isn't as good as you know like the best bike you can buy so um i i feel like some of the the other less polished moto vlogs give you more insight into into the bikes and into riding too some of them are just guys um what's this like jake the garden snake who gets pulled over by the police a lot on his supermoto and that's just <laughs> it's just it's, it's, it, that's just fun to ride it's, yeah. it's just fun to watch it's just fun to watch this guy be a hooligan and get in trouble and you can sort of live vicariously through him who's who's the guy that uh you referred us to i forgot his name uh, baron baron von grumble baron von grumble that guy's fantastic too yeah and well he's uh, out of the uk too so he's kind of um uh, you get the what he got to go to yeah spain and and test ride jack miller's moto 3 uh 250 the guy's also humble which is nice you know he's, he's sort of he's sort of a fumbler but he gets the information out really well now there's also there's also video games. Now I, I got to get into this because forty years old or not, I'm part of the generation that invented video games. Well, not even that. Like the generation before me came up with freaking Pong, and it, video games are part of my upbringing. They're not something that you eventually graduate from. Every now and then you got to go back and put a quarter in a Galaga machine or a token or whatever you find and. Honestly, with the home systems now, I've never not had one. Uh, one thing I've found <laughs> has always bit, brought a bit of an adrenaline rush back is if I'm sitting on my couch taking one, just one hour once a week, two hours total in an entire week to sit down behind what was Project Gotham Racing. Man, I miss that game. And then, you know, another Forza games and stuff like that. Sit in the four-wheel environment and just try to navigate and try to try to hone your skills and make mind of where your where your line is and just let yourself get excited about something just because hey you know what you're not going to get to do it out on the streets in your area unless again you're in california but i know that even though we didn't do it this year next year for sure there's always next year i definitely am going to come up by you travis and rent a couple of snowmobiles and just go tear up the ice for a little while you know yeah well it kind of depends too i mean here in, in madison too this year we didn't i think the snowmobile trails are open for like a month um, around here, because we didn't get a whole lot of snow. I mean, up north, you know, when I lived in the, I lived up in the UP, up in Marquette for about eight years, and there, I know there's a bar out there between uh, Marquette and Gwynn at the crossroads, and in the winter, you don't, you never see a truck, you never see a car in the parking lot. It's just sleds. Everyone just rides, rides like, the, the, that's how people get around. You know, that's how some people, a lot of people get around, especially if you live out in the sticks. You. Know, those those roads don't get clear very often, so they just ride their sleds all all, all winter long. And I seem to remember that Wisconsin is set up so that in a lot of parts of Wisconsin, uh, there are areas where there's snowmobile trails that go from town to town to town that are not street. They're not street conjoined. They're not really near the roads. They go through the woods and they continue on. And it's yeah. kind kind of a tourist attraction. You can just go rent a snowmobile and go cabin to cabin to cabin to cabin and call that your winter getaway. See, even up here in the north with the snow, you can enjoy it if you decide to. You have to make that decision. Yeah, too. And you know, some of some of your moto gear might transfer over, but then, you know, you gotta get a um, you know, the the snowmobile helmets. With the, the just, mask and the breather. And they have the breather and the double pane and stuff so they don't fog up on you and you know, the snowmobile jackets and stuff are obviously much warmer than, than most motorcycle gear is. So yeah. that's some, something to consider too. All the stormtroopers had different helmets, you notice, you know, depending on what they were driving. Yeah. Like that, so, that ain't no biker helmet. You got to wear the freaking, you got to wear the TIE fighter helmet. 
Yeah, and so I mean that's something to consider too. But a lot of times, if you if you if you make the trip and you do a rental, they'll rent you a snowsuit or something too. Or if you ski, that's probably fine. Just gotta get the helmet and the gloves. Or I can already hear my friend John Supporta's voice echoing throughout my house, uh, animately mentioning ice riding. Ice riding, you got an ice bike. I don't really want to. I'll do a snowmobile, but ice riding does. I know that's got to be a good time. It looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, well, there's a big there's a big contingency down there in Chicago that. Uh, comes up uh, just over the border into Wisconsin every Sunday and, and they plow out a, a track on a little inland lake and, and get studded up tires on their dirt bikes and ride around. And it, it's everything, everyone from like a brand new DRZ 400 to like an old like TR, you know, KZ 200 from the 70s, you know, that, that guys are riding out there. So it's, you, you know, you take a bike that you don't mind taking on the ice, dirt bike probably, get some uh knobby tires and drill some studs into them and 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 take it out if you you know if you want now you literally say drill some studs into them they just go as they're flush with the rubber right they never penetrate yeah you don't want to like go through into like the tube (laughs) you get the appropriate stud for for your tire i mean you know and and they and they do make um they do make tires specifically for ice if you want to make that investment where the um the inside of the tire is much uh there's almost like a plastic liner inside the tire to um, minimize the chance of a, a puncture. Well, I still I have one solution that I need to mention that kind of trumps both of those. Since snowmobiles, we don't own one, and they're not necessarily there's no reason for me to own one immediately in my current location. I would rather just rent one in Wisconsin. And ice biking doesn't really appeal to me as much. I, I leave that for the other guys who want to bring the back end around a little bit more than I I do during the winter season. That is. Uh, in favor of waiting for when the pavement is simply dry. I mean, I don't care. This this is a great explanation here. Um, <clears throat> imagine dry pavement, plenty of nasty-looking snow on the side of the road, definitely cold outside, but above freezing. Me, personally, 40 degrees is my threshold, and then you just own a beater. You have to have one bike, one bike that it operates, and it doesn't leak, but you don't necessarily care about it. You will keep it from leaking, but you're not going to sand down the rust until the rust is a threat. This bike can also be your winter street bike. With that bike, if you decide on a warm enough day that you're going to go out and let it suffer through the puddles and the mud and the oxidation, then it's always good to find yourself a 500 to maybe a $1,000 bike that you're not going to care about. You look forward to shaker canning it. That's the one that you want to ride during the winter. Yeah. The, uh, well, too, I mean, that's why I, I keep my bike ready and I, I, I take it out when it's nice. Just my regular bike just because, um, you know, my threshold's a lot lower than yours. I remember in Chicago, I went down to a meet, uh, a Shivan Moto hangout at uh, Moto Works down on South, uh, Southwestern. It was 19 degrees. And then I sat outside for two hours and wouldn't start. <laughs> How'd you get home? Uh, well, luckily the, the meet was at, um, at MotorWorks, which is a dealership. So I just pulled it into their shop and we jumped it. <laughs> nice. That works. I was thinking that, you know, the threshold changes. You know, it, my, my threshold, the first year that I rode, I had a, a 1982 Yamaha Seika XS400 RJ. And it was a great bike. I totally tricked that bike out to the absolute maximum that I could before I sold it. And my first year of riding, while I was in the process of just growing that bike into what all that it could possibly be, I rode it no matter how cold it was. You know, when it was 15 degrees, 25 degrees, 
not a big deal so long as I had the chance to ride. And even if it was for a short moment, I put the largest set of hot grips, great hot, a great heated grip, though not necessarily the best hand grip in general. I, I put on the full-sized Goldwing hot grips, which just blazed up to where the bars would glow. And you know, I had everything set up for any kind of riding I wanted. And I, I even cleaned it and washed it and polished it in the downstairs of our outdoor section at our condo in the middle of no no kind of temperatures. But, you know, that changed with, uh, I don't know, I, I think I did that for two years. And then I decided, you know what, this year I'm just going to winterize. I'll come up with something else to do. And here I am, wishing, wishing that, well, you know, fortunately, Ryan Chappelle, uh, a friend of mine, friend of ours, has left his 1976 CB554 in my garage, complete with shaker can paint, LED lights, and just a puddle of oil leaking all over the place when it sits still. And I think I'm probably going to have to ask him for another permission opportunity to take that thing out and grind in. Just just demolish it. He, I asked him when it was raining, sleet, snow, and nastiness, and salt, just salt everywhere. They, you know, we in Chicago we use what's called the Enola Gay approach. We just bomb salt on everything, and it just sticks there until the end of the season. And I asked him in the middle of all that, "Do you mind if I take it out for a spin?" And his immediately te- his text back immediately stated, "Go, do it, make it happen, get on it." So that's my intent. <laughs> we gotta put some studs on it, take it on the ice. Yeah, it's, I'm gonna off road it. Put some knobbies on there, studs, right on the pavement and on the ice. In the '70s, there wasn't much difference between you know a CB 550 <laughs> and a CL 550. Other than knobby tires and a high exhaust, that was. It's like, oh, now it's a dirt bike. <laughs> I love the '70s. Is that you're on any given Sunday too? <laughs> and then Billy found a rut. And then all of a sudden the bike, you know, you can see where they cut the film and the kid just disappears into the sand. Like, oh, that wasn't edited. <laughs> that wasn't a stage situation. And Steve McQueen takes the shortcut around the puddle. <laughs> what would you say about getting away on a nice sunny day, though? I mean, how often does that happen this year? Uh, a couple of times. There are definitely a couple of days, too, because, you know, we only have the one car, too. So if I really need to, I'm gonna take the, as long as the roads are clear, I'll take the bike out. Um, you know, the roads are clear in the sunshine and just cause that makes the sunshine and there's not going to be ice on the road, you know, it's not going to be any black ice. Um, so even if it seems clear and it's cloudy out, I'm a little hesitant if it's below freezing, but otherwise if the sun's out, the roads are going to be clear anywhere where there's maybe a little water on the roads, it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be just wet from the, from the sun. So, uh, but it's, it's happening. Yeah. Not as much into this year. I mean, I, with personally, you know, I haven't had as much time just because of moving and buying a house and all that sort of stuff. But I remember in Chicago, it happened fairly often. And too, the roads tend to be clearer there. As soon as we start hitting a steady 40 degree temperature, I'll probably make a few trips up to the Madison area on uh, not my bikes. But, uh, you know, like I said, Ryan, if you're out there and you're listening to this, it's too late, man. It's too late. You already said it was okay. I'm I'm taking yeah you already said it was all right I'm taking that bike out it's gonna happen I'm gonna put skis on the front of it I'm gonna <laughs> put a float on the back a couple of paddles I'm gonna ride it through the lakes all kinds of stuff and I think that <laughs> co- that that pretty much does it for the winter doldrums the winter blues everybody we know that you want to be riding we're right there with you and if we could we'd make it all stop earlier than expected but that cursed groundhog just isn't agreeable that's our episode for this round. 
Tune in next time for more discussion on all things specific to sport touring or universal to motorcycling as a whole. For the TheRidingObsession.com, I'm Robin Dean. I'm Travis Burleson. Safe travels, everyone.